Hello and welcome to an episode of the Selfish Podcast. Today we have Hibi from World Love Bank, which you'll find out a lot more about. And but first, we're going to get to know her and her life and her story. And can you share, Hibi, where you are in the world and what time of day is it for you? Well, hello, and thank you for um, allowing me to be a guest on your show. Um, my name is Hibi, and I am from Vancouver, British Columbia, and it is. Um, about 10.45 in the morning. Oh, nice. Always, I'm just curious for myself, like I said, Selfish Podcast, to know where my guests are from, because it's so beautiful to connect with people in an instant these days and have this technology at hand. So I truly appreciate it. I'm in the south of Spain, and it's currently quarter to eight in the evening. So it's just the sun has just started to set for me here. Um, what I like to do with my guests is get to know them on a more personal and intimate level. So I like to start at the beginning and hear about their childhood and their life. Can you paint me a picture of what life was like pre-10 years old? Oh, um, pre-10 years old um, was pretty amazing. I come from a family of five. We're originally born in Cape Town, South Africa, and we immigrated to Canada when I was about two. I'm the youngest of five, and I just remember having a really good childhood um, in regards to, like, my mom would be singing in the kitchen, and, I, like, you know, there's always someone to play with because I was the youngest, and um, we traveled a bit. Not traveled, actually, moved a bit, but when you're a child, you don't recognize <laughs> why it's all happening, mm. but we had opportunity to, you know, we had one home, and I could see start seeing struggles. Like, you know, I didn't realize what was going on, but we ended up moving from our one home that my dad had built to Vancouver Island, which is quite a distance away. We had to take a ferry and we had 12 acres. You know, we're living off, you know, we're living out of a camp, not even a camper van, his GMC van. He had redone as he builds a new house for us on 12 acres of land. And, you know, my mom just kept everything happy, kept everything going. And, um, you know, we had a pet deer. Everything was... Um, you know, I, everything was amazing. And um, that, that that's how it, usually things, well, I don't know. For me, I remember my childhood up to 10 was actually, um, it just seemed like it was filled with music and like, you know, ease. Yeah. And I imagine, like you're saying, if you're building a house and you're 20, you're surrounded by nature and having a pet deer as well. Is that is that a deer that just sort of came into that bit of land and just <clears> got <throat> accustomed to you guys and you'd feed it and like pay it or you just see it go past now and then no um i remember coming home from school one day i was like grade three and there was this like this is after my dad has built the house we were kind of living in the the bottom portion while he was building the top and there was you know the box that the refrigerator had come in and i was like it was in the middle of this big room that we had no you know no walls yet and i'm like what is it and my brother my oldest brother's like uh go take a look and he he picked it up and it was this baby fawn and, mm. you know, with the white dots and uh, he had um, brought it home. It had, it had, he had found it on the side of the road and the mother had been hit by a car. Oh, So we, of course we, we took it in, we named it Bambi mm. <laughs> and my mom, you know, we just fed it bottles and bottles of milk and, you know, it would sleep on our bed. It would walk around with us for three years. It was a full grown deer and, um, you know, we would be able to like stand on our deck 
when the home was built and yell for our dog, which was like a little tiny dash hound called Duchess. We'd be like, Duchess, Bambi, come, come. And out of nowhere, you'd see these animals completely opposite, you know, in size, come bounding out of the, the trees, hopping on all fours, a little dash hound hopping on all fours like the deer. <laughs> it was like, that's what I mean. Like it, it seemed, it was incredible. And then for some reason, I thought I could speak deer. <laughs> and I, I make all these like crazy sounds and, and it actually, it actually works. The deers in my neighborhood now still look up and they're like, who's calling me? See, I've seen deer in the wild, but they're very scarce and cautious creatures. So I, you, I've never got close to one at all. So, and I've also never heard one. Like they seem to be so silent, even in their footsteps. So what does a deer oh, sound like? I'm not doing it. <laughs> I wondered if you would or not. Because I imagine it's a funny sound, but I've not, yeah, it, I have it, no idea. My, my children laugh because literally we would, because we live in this area close to the mountain and the deers come down all the time. So the deers are coming down now, but we would be in the field, like we'd be at the school and playing soccer and we'd see the deers across the way. And of course I'd start making the deer sounds and they'd look up and they'd start walking towards me. <laughs> and the, the kids are so used to it now, but um, yeah. Uh, I, I, because they started making fun of me, I stopped over the last few years and I don't think I can quite, I'd have to start practicing to get it back again. But it, it sounds, they say it sounds like I'm actually speaking whale from like, you know, that <laughs> okay. show. it's not whale, it's deer. It's a big difference. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. And so back then you're living in 12 acres and I imagine that's like quite a remote area. Like how was school life? What did you do? For, was you homeschooled or what, how did school work when you was a child? Oh, no. I, I mean, this is, like I said, you know, we're talking pre, you know, this is ten, pre 10 years old. Um, no, we uh, basically had to, it was about three miles. Was it? Yeah, it was about three miles to the bus stop where we'd have to get dropped off. And then the school bus would come along the island highway and pick us up and take us to our school. So it would drop me off at my elementary school and then drop my sister off at her, at her middle school and then drop my elder elder um, children, siblings up at the high school. Like it was all along the highway. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it, it was it was a bit, I wouldn't say it was remote, but it wasn't like. Uh, there was no need for homeschooling. Hmm. Okay. You know, interesting. Like, just wondering when you're living out there, because it's always, to me, I've seen, like, certain things, especially in Canada. I don't know if it's because it's known for it or something, or the wood, but I see, like, these big wooden cabins that people build out of, like, actual logs and stuff, and they look magical. Was it something like that that your dad built, like, a, out of the actual trees on the land? Oh, no. No, no. He built, like, a full-on house. Like, like an actual story. house, like... Oh, okay. Like it was like a just, winding just staircase. Yeah, I was just wondering. There's a picture. <laughs> yeah, he was like, a it's like one of, them, one of them really remote houses. Oh. Looks like, it's like an actual uh, house. No, yeah, no, you're thinking like, and it's beautiful, like those cabins in Whistler, and and it, yeah, no, we, you know, he built like a full on home with the stucco and you know, um, big roof, like giant fireplace, and the whole thing. But in the end, it was a bad. It was a big mistake because you know, he ended up not being able to find work. His goal was that he, he had thought it was a remote and it was going to grow and it was going to be like a, a you know, a community where he could live and we, you know, we'd, you know, be able to have um, 
you know, like our family would be able to sustain itself, but it ended up where he had to keep coming back to the, to the mainland on a ferry every week to work. Mm. And so we ended up doing, we ended up staying there for three years and or maybe two years, two and a half years. And he would come back and forth on the ferry um, working in, in the lower mainland and then coming back to see us on the weekend and then work on the house and then come. And it was, I, I imagine it was quite, it was quite difficult and challenging for him. And then, um, and then we ended up losing the home and then having to move back to the lower mainland. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah. That, like you said, it makes sense. And it's not like you can do, uh, have the digital work like we do these days where people can be a bit more remote and find work online. Yeah. yeah he was a builder. So and you can't, yeah, you can't exactly build online. <laughs> You can't build online, maybe in Minecraft, but no. Yeah. Do you remember when you was a child, like your first ambition or dream, like saying you was like, oh, I want to do this, I want to become this or something along them lines? Um, yeah. When I was, <clears throat> when I was young, I, uh, I wanted to be a dancer, like, um, like jazz. It's, it sounds so strange, but yeah. It was one of those things like ballet or jazz. Um, and I'm going to say this, and it's probably going to date me, but that's okay. Um, I remember watching the show Fame, and it was one of those things where I thought I was going to be the next dancer. And then uh, my mom said to me, you know, if you break your ankle, your career's over. And I was like, oh, really? And I always remembered that. So I never went as far as I would have wanted to. But I always loved dance. I always imagined myself as a dancer, oh, like no. ballet or jazz. <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, that's interesting. Become sort of a dancer and stuff. And I want to know what your, like you said, it seemed like a quite a magical childhood up to 10. What, what was your say? What comes to mind when I asked, what was your first struggle in life? Um, you know, when you ask that, you know, we try to like, I look back and I thought instantly because I'm just, I'm dealing with this particular struggle as it's manifested in my life and I'm, I'm on the, I'm growing through it. But, um, I had that, you know, like I had a struggle with uh, body image because, um, I was extremely thin and, you know, being mm -hmm. the youngest of five, I had my brother he used to always call me like a bone rack and I just could not gain weight. And it was just, it, it had nothing to do with the the level or the amount of food I ate. It was just, that was my metabolism. And at that time, you know, you're just, you're living on an Island and you're living on 12 acres and, you know, you're just running around doing whatever you can, right? Like just yeah. running in the forest and having fun. And I just, I just never could gain weight. And so I was called um, a bone rack <laughs> and it hurt my feelings and, you know, but it was my big brother. And I think that's really not really a struggle. That's just siblings. Yeah, no, I, so I think it still counts as, as your first, like you said, that's what comes to mind first. That's why I ask people, not what's your first one, just what comes to mind first. Cause it's always interesting. What, what first does pop up? <laughs> well, you know, and the funny thing is it probably wouldn't have popped up except that you had asked me about going back to like, mm -hmm. you know, what was it like before 10? And yeah. that, that to me is like, you know, if I were looking at, at around that age, that, 
that was like, it's kind of interesting because that was my biggest struggle at that time. At that time, being called a boner, you know, being called a boner by your brother or, or, you know, that, that was, um, that was my challenges back then. Just, you know, kind of fitting in. And the fact that, you know, we're living remotely and some of the other kids live more like in, in town. So I never had the opportunity to go and have play days and things like that. That's just young life stuff. But when we moved back to this, uh, back to the city after those three years, that's, um, I found that's when the challenges happened for me because we ended up moving into, um, into a, a different community and this community had a lot of, um, racism in it just because like I I'm a colored woman but we come from South Africa we're all are colored right my father's Arabic and English and my mother is German um Asian and um African so we got quite a mix and we all look different there's five children from the same parents but like my if I were to describe my oldest brother, he, he looks more um, like he's um, biracial, like African and Caucasian, like, you know, like an African-American kind of, you know, yeah. gentleman. And then my other brother, he had more of my mom's Asian eyes. So I would, you know, he, he's, he would look more like a Filipino. And then my other sister looked more like Persian. And then my other sister looked, you know, they're all beautiful people. And my other sister looked... Um, like you're half Asian. And then I came along and I was like dark skin, but I didn't have the Asian eyes, but then, you know, we all look different. So when we moved back to the city, we lived in this community where there was, there's a lot of racism and it was in the eighties. And, and you just had like people yelling out, like profound, like just not, not very nice things out the window at you. And, you know, not just children, but adults or they make, you know, and it, and it was because it was like, a, you know, like, um, East Indian kind of community and we're not East Indian, but I could easily pass for that, especially if I lived in that community and I had people, you know, just say things and you just felt like, what is happening? Mm. That was like my first struggle was trying to find my identity because back then we were, you know, it was, South Africa was going through the apartheid and, and, um, you know, you talked about, Oh, I'm South African and people, quite didn't understand, you know, they didn't understand what that looks like or what that actually is. Yeah, we're actually that is interesting. Yeah. yeah, no, very interesting. And like, like you said, I find it fascinating that you all look different, but I've seen some, like me, I'm mixed, uh, I'm, I'm Indian, English, Irish, and a bit Sri Lankan. And uh, as far as I know, <laughs> that's what I can trace back because <laughs> uh, my dad's from India, but he's got like his, his dad or granddad's it's Sri Lankan and it mixes and my mom's half Irish, half English. Um, and me and my brother, like some people say, oh, we can tell your brothers. Other people say, you look nothing alike. I've got dark skin. He's got really white skin. He's got blue eyes. I've got, mm-hmm. I've got like green brown on it like and he did, we just look really different but almost at the same time like we look the same and we went to the same school and teachers would like oh I know who your brother is and then someone else would say like I'd say oh you're not related to this person are you and I'd be like yeah and sometimes get that one where they go I hope you don't behave like them you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, it goes over the the looks and to the behavior right yeah. because the behavior is actually probably more um succinct right is that you know you may not look alike but you'll behave the same because you grew up under the same household sometimes 
but yeah well that was it too and um you know the interesting thing is that you know as i've grown up i've i've had the opportunities to speak to like you know my other siblings and um because we all look different, they, they had their own issues. Like maybe they didn't face the exact same racism that I did in, in that community, but then there was something else that they faced. You know, that's why I know that we all go through our different struggles. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it was where I came from in England was just South of London. And it was quite a big, uh, like a big, small city, 150,000 people. Um, mm-hmm. And the, your school has like 2000 students in it in like your, what would be a high school. Um and I remember the strange thing in my school is because I wasn't one particular race, I was accepted by the Indians. And every, all the races were in groups, Indians with, with the Indians, the Pakistanis were with the Pakistanis and the English with, with the English. And they pretty much didn't really mix. They all were in their groups and there was a lot of all three groups. Um, but they all like tried to pull me into their team, I felt. Like, it was like, because I've got a bit <laughs> of each. It's like, I would be with the English kids and they'd be like, talking bad about the Indians, talking bad about the Pakistanis and sort of like nudging me that it's all right. Cause you're like pretty much one of us. And then I'd go you to the Indians. And they'd be, yeah. And then the Indians would be talking bad about the Pakistanis and about the English and going, no, it's all right. Cause you're like one of us. And then the Pakistanis would do the same, And they all do the same thing. They all really talk terrible about each other. So much racism, but somehow I was in the middle that I was just neutral almost like they all actually were not nicer to me, but I was also quite a tough kid. So I got away that I couldn't get bullied. Um, yeah. So that helped, but they also, it was just such a bizarre when I look back on it, it was such, I was aware of it at the time as well, because race was never an issue for me. Um, That's so funny because I feel the same way. Like, well, it was at that time, but then when I grew, when I got older, it was like, I knew that I was, I could mix it with anyone. And I think it's funny yeah. because what you would say too, is like people would just come up to me and like, right now my hair is light, but people would come up to me and be like, oh my God, I just love your tan. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I, I am a colored woman, but you know, uh, I'd met someone once in um, at a te- at a club or whatever, a tennis club, and he was a a forensic uh, police officer that, that that you know would re would um, recreate the facial um yeah. structure of people's faces after you know if they found like a skull or one and he called me a caucasoid and i was like what and he said if we were to rebuild your face if and this sounds weird but you know if they had found my skull yeah. and rebuilt my face they would have rebuilt me as a white woman and i was like oh because i have a because ca- i have caucasian features yeah and I was like, interesting, but yeah, the same thing when I was growing up and then I went to, we were there for two years again at the, in that community. And I definitely toughened up, um, you know, and then I moved to another community. I was like, okay, do I fit? Do, you know, do I hang out with the Filipinos? Do I hang out with the, <laughs> the black girls? Do I, you know, do I hang out with the whites? Do I, you know, and it's just, it didn't matter. We, I was just like, you know what? I'm, I'm chill with everyone. I don't care. You know? And it, I just tr- treated everyone the same and I, and I just had friends and I stopped trying to put the, like myself into their package or put them like, you know, it was just like, I could recognize things coming from the outside. But again, like you said, I was tough. I just was, I was like, you know what, I'm going to be me and you, you know, you be you. And, and if I like you and you're nice and we get along, great. And that's kind of how I kind of positioned high school 
Yeah, no, it's a very similar for me in terms of like it wasn't, I didn't want to, be, I almost wanted to not identify with any particular race either because I just saw all they did is talk about each other so badly. I was like, well, I feel quite good that I, I can't identify to one. And I'd hear one saying, all right, you should only stick to your own race. And I'm like, so who am I meant to be with? I was like, mm-hmm. I don't, I can't find another exact one. And where I was from, I was like the only one who was half Asian and half English. Like there was no, there was no mixed kids at all in the school. Every, like that wasn't a, a thing yet as such. And um, yeah, and I remember that was funny. And then my first uh, serious relationship I had, she was from Nigeria and she was really dark skinned and her family had moved over from Nigeria and stuff. And then that just blew people's minds. Because um, not only was it not acceptable to have, say, a mixed a relationship for a white and black I wasn't even clear what I was but it was clear we weren't the same right. um, and that was interesting to walk around and the race just the racist stares I would get like you, I could see some people that were black that were really angry at me you know looked at us literally with disgust and then the same from white people same from Asian people and then some people that were really nice and really happy and didn't seem to bother them at all and it was just very interesting when I look back on it it was fascinating because I've always um just looked at it without trying to feel it too much. <laughs> I, th- you know, and I think that's really the goal in life because, um, like I said, my father was, uh, my father was Muslim and my mother was Christian from the missionaries in South Africa, but she ended up converting to Muslim. They just said, my mom always said, you know, like follow the 10 commandments, you're going to be okay. And you know what? Everyone has red blood. And if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. And it was mm-hmm. like, that was the bottom line. Like, keep your mouth shut. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. And she said it with such conviction. I was like, it's a rule. My mouth is shut. But, you know, it, it you know, it doesn't stop anyone else from saying things. And you just have to, um, you just have to uh, grow. And And I mean, it sounds all easy, but when you said you were tough, like I was tough, like I did face um, abuse when I was, you know, when we'd moved back from the island and, you know, I was a young, a young girl going through puberty and stuff. And and I had faced, uh, you know, a little bit of, you know, abuse in that, in that area. And it just, sh- it shook me. It was like, then who am I? And then, you know, are we moving again to another community? And it was just like, I just, I just wanted to be that tough person. I was like, nothing is going to hurt me. And I, and it was about that switch, you know, like mm. I'm like, nothing bothers me, but nothing hurts me, but it does, you know, it does. It's just, you just learn how to have that space between what people see and what you feel. Yeah. what, what? I wonder if you can resonate with this at all, because what happened to me, and it wasn't from them things, because them things happened with race and that for me, but that wasn't my worst, say, traumas and stuff that affected me. Like, my my mum was severely mentally ill my entire life, and that caused me a lot of pain. I became a, a carer and had lots of suicidal issues when I was when I was young, and when I got to my teenage years, like, this toughness and this fighting force came, and I started boxing and really physically strengthening myself up. I had a lot of anger. And I didn't want to hurt anyone. I was just like making sure no one can hurt me. But I also started to really numb my feelings because I didn't want to feel the pain and the suffering. But then through that process, yeah, people couldn't hurt me. But I also couldn't feel the good feelings. Like I lost all the sensations of excitement and real love and all them things just got number and number and number as I numbed all the painful things. 
A hundred percent. I agree. Um, we, and you know, the truth is we're children. So <laughs> we're only doing, you know, what we think we, you know, it, from our child mind is going to be useful to us. We don't have all those skills to, to make these better choices, but it was the same thing. I started, um, you know, because of the abuse, it was like right away, I self-harm, self-harm. It was, but it was like, I knew looking back now, I knew I was screaming for help, but it was like, no, like help me, but don't help me. Give me attention, but don't look at me. And then it was like, okay, you know, getting involved a little bit into like, okay, I'm in grade eight. I think I'm going to go to this party and have a drink <laughs> and, and, you know, these kind of things. It was like, oh my gosh, you, you consume this external substance and all of a sudden like you don't care and you have courage and it was you know it's what carried me through but at the same time it was exactly as you said like you just stop having the ability to care and you miss out because you know I look back and and I think back to those times in school and there were really there were some really great things that happened and there were things that you know, that weren't so great. And I don't remember feeling like I have snippets. I don't remember the big feelings because I remember more so don't feel, let it go, let it go, erase it from your memory. And I think, you know, as I've gotten older and I've reflected back, I'm surprised at the little um, memories that come back to me that I had blocked for so many years yeah because i think it's one of the things like us um we can try and block our memories or, or lock them up but it's like every experience every moment we've had is always within us like the same as if you you suddenly smell a say like a nice apple pie and you're reminded of something your nan made you on a sunday like when you was five and you're brought back to <laughs> exactly. that moment and you're like that memory is within you already and it seems that all our memories are and they can be triggered unless we sort of rewrite the story to them events and change the actual, like the way I see it is like a computer. And you know, you have like files and then you put your files. So you've got these files that are like trauma. And within that file, it says, do not open, do not open, do not open loads of explanation, explanations. But if you get to a point where you can go back and you're like, do you know what? I can cut that out of that folder and put it in a new folder called gifts and write the title as like, this blessed me with this, this site, this force and rewrite that their memories no longer sort of come up in such a discomfort way. Have you found any process like that in your life where these events have happened to you that you now have rewritten that story? Um, I, I wouldn't say I've rewritten that story, but definitely I, I understand where you're, where you're thinking is in regards to like, you know, the exclamation marks and the files and the like, do not touch. And um, what I have been able to do is to, look at those stories in my life um, from an adult, right? And that's, the, that's the, the biggest gift is like a healthy adult mind, you know, where I, you know, I am not um, exposed to any, you know, outside issues where it's affecting the way I think, you know, and just having a healthy look at it, digging it up and saying, you know, this was my part. This wasn't my part. This is where I was a child. and and as well, like you said, like there is a gift there, there, you look at the past and you don't regret it because it's made you who you are today. And 
whether you had to, you had to struggle through a certain part or grow and you had to put on the tough skin, whatever it may be, that was the past and who you are today is all bundled up in those things. And if you can take the lessons, because this is really important that I've learned is that every part of my life, there's been a lesson. And sometimes you can't learn when you're young, but if you look back and, and you can learn the lesson in that experience, the suffering stops. But if you go back and you like, you know, people like my life's on repeat. I just keep doing the same thing, keep doing mm. it, getting the exact same results. That's what in Einstein calls insanity, doing the exact same thing, expecting different results. So when you actually look at something in your life and you go, you, you take out like your personal involvement and you just look at it and you go, what could possibly be the lesson? And you, and you look until you find the lesson and you really go, oh my God, that was the lesson. And you acknowledge it and you accept it. The suffering in that whole experience stops and you're like, oh, I can, I can take the lesson out of it, leave the rest in the past and I can move forward and grow. That's um, definitely what I have been able to do with a lot. Well, all of my my past and that's and like when things happen today and I know right away that I need to look for a lesson so things don't I don't carry baggage I don't have to regret you know yesterday the day before if I make a mistake we all do we're human if I say something to my son that's like you know what I could have said that nicer I'll I, I reflect and I'm like Ugh. okay and I, you know, I'm humble. I'm a human being. I can go back and say, you know what? I'm really sorry. I didn't, I didn't make, mean to make it sound that way. And, you know, how are you? And, and, and clear it up right away because now I have the ability to behave in the way that I want to be like, you know, as an adult, as a mature person who actually does care about other people. And I, and like, if I do something that's, you know, not nice, I feel it. Like before, I never felt it. Yeah, like you said, that process at the beginning, to some I've noticed, like even the concept where they're like, oh, what do you mean? Look at look at your past as a, as a, as a lesson. And there's a struggle at the beginning for a lot of people to start because it's quite it's a painful place to look. Like they haven't got themselves into a good place to start looking. It's like taking off lots of layers of goggles, say, to actually be able to look at an event clearly, not emotionally. Um, and I've seen that with some people, but once... I've also seen people that have got past that stage and they have started to look at the look for the lessons and then put them lessons to use in their current life like and actually make them of service in some way to others um like you said there's a complete change in how they feel about that event they can talk about it they can share it whereas before like i told you with my mom i couldn't other words my mom was ill um and i say was because she passed recently but i couldn't utter the words and go oh, my so mom's sorry. ill even i don't be sorry did you do it I always mm-hmm. catch people like when they say when people apologize, I'm like, did you do it? Why are you apologizing? <laughs> I'm sorry for your loss. Like no, Why I'm are you, you know, sorry. Sorry because I have I'm, empathy. I'm happy I don't I mean sorry like a, I'm responsible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not responsible, a, please. Don't get me yeah. wrong. <laughs> but I hear this sorry, and I don't like I hear sorry a lot, sorry a lot. Especially when it's like it feels like it's a normal response. But to me, it's like, no, Mm. my mom gifted me with an amazing sight and life. And I can choose, like you said, choose. She gave me the most lessons I could have imagined because I had the most chaotic life from her experience. Yeah. And yeah, for years, it seemed like unbelievable suffering. And I thought like I went through should have, would have, could have, like how how my life would have been different if she wasn't like she was. Um, But there's there's a waste of money. 
you know, yeah. she did the best she could. Like my mom was ultimate, like anyone who had met my mom or she was the most loving person in the world. Like, you know, like, as you would say, um, you know, like if you had someone like, you know, different and, and I, everyone would be like, Oh my God, your mom was so great. She was so loving. She was so, you know, like, just like that, you know, but you know what she didn't teach me. She didn't teach me how to handle things. Like she, everyone does the best they can with their experience. And like, my mom was the most loving woman, but at sometimes she, like, if I look back at my life, it was like, I didn't have, I didn't learn the skill set to be strong because I was always, you know, it was so easy. It was like, you know, just if you're not going to, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. Like it was like, though, like it was just the, those rules, but it was like, but what if I do need to say something? <laughs> like I didn't have the ability to, to fight back. So when the things had happened to me, it was like, look at the rainbow, look at the, you know, and it was like, hold on a second, but I still need to, you know, there's still pain going on. So it's very interesting. And I'll tell you my, you know, just talking about mothers, um, my mom passed away on August 4th, 2020. And um, that's my birthday. Okay, <laughs> she yeah. died on my birthday. And, um, and it was that same thing where it's like, you know, what is the lesson? And um, I just had to say, okay, well, if my mom passed on, on my birthday, one, she knew that I was going to be able to handle it. And two, if the universe opened up heaven's gates for my mom to pass on my birthday, then it's got to be a really good day. And listen to the birds. Oh, timely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's how, you, you know, like everything has to be put into, um, into a frame because you have to realize we decide um, as we grow how we want to feel about it because it's just a feeling. And with people who are struggling. Um, if my experience has been, if you are using external substances to not feel and you want to learn how to feel and deal with these, um, with life on life's terms, you have to take out those external substances because they will always, they, they're like a, 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 a plug to your feelings. They'll never let you feel. And the truth is, when you un unleash it, it's going to feel gross. It's going to feel ugly and yucky, but that's what, those are like years of feelings bottled up. But it, once you clear it all out and you, you know, not with help or with the support, um, you, you know, you'll find an opportunity to, to like have some, peace and serenity and freedom from that because then then you have your gifts then then that like you said then that little spirit inside you starts to grow and then you start to look and and you know at what you can give back to the world and what your experiences meant and you know where you could be of service to someone else yeah definitely and that getting into service and that process like i introduced you as world love bank and that's a part of your life now where you're giving out service and can you explain how that came into your life as an idea and um yeah just explain what it even is oh thank you for asking i am so grateful and proud to be the founder of the world love bank and it is a health and wellness app that I had created um, and I had the idea in 2012 when I had went through my own mental health challenges and bankruptcy and, you know, just 
feeling really lost and wanting to be able to um, put value into the world. And, and I was like, you know, one thing I know for sure is that I love people. I love the world, but it just doesn't seem valuable. Like love just doesn't seem valuable. And this is in 2012. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to build a bank. I'm going to build a bank I'm going to put love in it and put my love in it and anyone else can put their love in it. And that way, none of us will be bankrupt. <laughs> it was like <laughs> the simplest idea I'd ever come up with. I'm like, that's it. And then anyone anywhere could access the world's the words, I love you. And that was kind of like the idea. But as I looked into it at that time, technology was very expensive and, and I couldn't quite understand how to make the intangible tangible. Like love is very yeah. before I can, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's out there and it's like, how do you, you know, how do you bank it? And, and it was something that I was like, I'm going to do it. So I created the World Love Bank and I saved the name and I was like trying all these different ways until 2019 when I was like, I figured it out. And um, it's a health and wellness app. And basically it's on iOS and uh, I, Android. So Google Play and the App Store. And it's one safe place where people can create and store messages and expressions of love for those they care about most and have them safe, not mixed in with like their iPhone messages or mixed in with other files on their computer, but like it's in a bank because it's valuable because if something were to happen to the person that you love and you want to hear their memories or a message or a story, you just go to your bank you have their folder and their file and you can click on it and you can listen or you can watch the video that they left. So that's how the bank works. It has a joint account where to join the bank, you have to say the words, I love you. So we've got these compilations of, I love you. I love you. I love you from people all around the world <laughs> in, and no one's ever bankrupt because if you haven't heard, I love you, you can go in there and you can hear it. It's anonymous, but you know, you can feel the, the vibration of love. And then you can use the app to send messages to people in your contact list. You can, you know, when you receive messages, you can save them. You can create messages for the future. You can uh, listen to meditations and, you know, check into your emotions. It's, it's like banking what is actually the most valuable thing in the world and never, never losing the voice of someone you love. Yeah, nice. And, and, and that you said it's on, so if I just went to like Play Store or App Store and typed in World Love Bank, you come straight up? Yep. Uh, one word, World Love Bank. And it is, um, it's free for everyone to use for the audio. And then if people want to upgrade to use the video or to use like a legacy account, which allows you to do like self-love messages into special folders or, you know, like a like a time capsule so you can actually send messages into the future. That's an upgraded version. But for now, anyone and everyone can hear the words, I love you and be able to send messages and receive messages in the audio form. Oh, but one of the other things, the things that um, one of the other inspirational stories I have to share about it is because uh, a few years before um, I'd lost my brother and before I'd lost him. Um, he had been struggling and he happened to call my mom's house and I had said, 
I picked up the phone and we were chatting and I knew he was struggling. And I was like, you know, I love you. And he's like, no, you don't. And I'm like, I do. I love you. This is my oldest brother. And he's like, no, you don't. I'm like, I love you. He's like, no. And I just kept saying it. And I must've said it about 15 times. And then finally he's like, okay, she's not going to give up. So he's like, I love you. And I could hear it. And it was like, it it took him so much to say it to me. And, you know, and then we hung up. Three months later, he ended up dying. Hmm. And he left behind his three-year-old son who would never hear those words. And I'm telling you, like, I love you from somebody that, that, that matters in your life is something that you don't think to record but it's so precious. And if you could just say those three words and bank them, that's going to make a difference to the people that love you. And, and you can do add way more stories than that, but those three words are not something that we actually intentionally save, but they are so powerful. Yeah. No, it's a really nice idea and not even an idea now. It's a practical actual <laughs> physical thing it's not just that like you said loves us a bit sort of untangible and you've made it a bit tangible and um no it's really nice like you said there is a, a powerful thing a big part of my process was the self-love and going through that process and realizing i wasn't during a lot of my life i'd conditioned myself out of that for myself um and the power of sharing that with people and the power of sharing it with yourself even as reminders is um yeah really inspiring and like i can see really helping a lot of people you know because it is the strongest power out there is love it is and and you know people have asked like what what do you want to do and i'm like well one i want to make sure that anyone anywhere can access the words i love you whether they've heard it from people or that they just need to hear it from the world to believe that the world's a loving place but it is it is so powerful and i hope that one day we'll be able to use our um our i love you reserve and use it for meditations with noetic science and and give people who are in comas an opportunity to hear that, hey, guess what? The world is still a loving place. I would love to have them have the headphones on and just hear voices all around the world say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Be very I think, <laughs> it, you know, that's it. Like, it's this, like, right now as we speak, I have a huge smile on my face because, again, like, all the struggles I just talked about, like, it doesn't, you know, you get to where you are now. And you realize that you can take your past and make it important and valuable for the future. And, and to have a, to be able to bring this to the world and, and to have love be like my goal and and my um, career (laughs) to give people love. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better job. So I guess I had to create it for myself. Yeah. Nice. And like you said, it's, it's, to me, it all comes down to that it is just a choice. And that's the hardest bit, I think, for some people to grasp when they're really struggling. Because they're like, I wouldn't choose this. I wouldn't choose this. And it's like, no, you have the choice in how you perceive the past. And that takes time and practice to to find them lessons and to find them gifts. Like you said with your brother, it's like that's a prime example of him giving you a beautiful lesson on the power of that word by not giving it to you for 15 times. Do you mean that <laughs> stuck in you so strongly? Because oh, he, he made did it, that. He, he, <laughs> yeah, he made it work for it. like you know he made me work for it. But in the same way, I said it fifteen times. It was only his one time that yeah. mattered. You know what I mean? And and again, I still wish I could hear it. Like I know it yeah. was said, and that's really powerful. But 
if I could hear it, it would be like he was right here whispering in my ear. Yeah, it's funny. My my love Danielle. Every time she says to me, she's like, "Oh, I love you," and I, every time I say, "Oh, sorry, I didn't hear you. What did you say?" And she goes, "Oh, I said I love you," and I was like, and I laugh because I'm like, "Yeah, it's nice. I just want to hear it twice." And every time I get her, every single time I get it twice, because every time. That's- yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you know what that that's perfect because it's it's like it's it's worth saying. It's definitely yeah. <laughs> my my son. He's um he's 15 and gosh he he uses the word probably 20 times in a day, like yeah. and that I I could be more. He's he's so aware of how great it sounds. He says it because he wants to hear it back, and then you know. Having the ability, because we lost not just my mom in 2020, but my dad in 2019, um, we'd lost some of the the historical stories from Cape Town and like District 6. And it was like, he says to me, Mom, can you also record my bedtime stories and put them into the app? Because um, I want to have those stories in your voice for my kids. Nice. And how old is he? He's 15. (laughs) Okay. How old was he when he said that? 15. <laughs> okay, yeah, just checking. But no, that's still really nice. And Oh, yeah. No, but this is it. It's like whatever you give out into the world, it comes back. Like my kids, um, they're, I mean, he's an athlete. He plays basketball. He's like, you know, he studies. He's got his friends. He's still a typical teenage boy. But, you know, the the effort in what I've, in how we, my, my uh, husband and I have raised them is that same thing. You know what? We're all human, you know, stop, like stop and, and take a look at someone else. And if you, if you're having a conflict with someone, like step back and, and maybe just ask them how they're doing, because it's not always all about us though. It is a selfish podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. 15. He's uh, he's very self-aware and, and the truth is life is temporary, especially what we've experienced and what we're experiencing with, you know, COVID and the war. And, you know, I'm, I'm so I don't want to say sorry, but you know, the world is um, in need of, of people making that choice, trying to do the next right thing, you know, helping yeah, choo- others. Helping to look for a lesson in the moment. It's like, what, what, what can you learn from this chaos at the moment? And then how can that be of a service? How can that actually mm-hmm. make life better? How can that make life more beautiful? How can people feel more love? You know, it's like it exactly. showed it clearly in this time. Well, and, and it doesn't have to be this, like, I love you is so powerful, but you can also think it and it's just, it's an energy, right? So if, if you don't have the ability to make a difference in like these grand, big gestures, it's the small things that count. Love is not necessarily this big thing. It's, it's a very simple thing. Like when somebody drops something, picking it up for them so they don't have to bend over like, you know, just you'll it's what you said like you know looking for lessons but also it's a practice if you start with the little things and you just practice doing little things without telling anyone it's that idea that you know that you have the power to make a little difference it just grows it's it's a seed that's worth um watering yeah definitely and a big part of why I put on like my YouTube content is about like self-love because that was a big change in my life. And the difference between self-care and self-love when I've talked about that, it's made me sort of realize that that love, like it's an energy, it's an attitude. So like you do something with care, but you have the attitude of love because you can you can care for, say, a dog, um, but you're not doing it with a good attitude. It's not with love. 
So it could be fed and it could have a little blanket, but you could be doing it horribly and you're still caring for it technically. Uh, but there's a big difference between when you see someone that's doing something with love and you can, like you said, you feel it. It's passed over in that presence and in that way they perform an action. So I think, like you said, the words, if someone's genuinely putting out the words, I love you, and they're saying it with real, genuine authenticity, that that has a force with it and a big one. Well, I'm, I definitely, I believe it and I, I'd love to see it. I would love to, um, to see more of us share love and, and, you know, and heal ourselves and, and grow because I, we are, we are, as we grow responsible for the way that we behave. And, and sometimes people just don't realize how good it feels. And, and it's sometimes it's even impossible to even imagine that, that they're capable of it or that, you know, it's an option, but it is. Yep, definitely. We're coming to the end of the show because I keep each episode roughly to an hour, but I have a few just mm-hmm. small fun questions. I ask every guest at the end of the show. Do you have time for them? Well, it depends what the question is, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just simple sort of answers, but if you want to elaborate, you can. You're welcome to. Okay. So the first question is, choose one, cats or dogs? Dogs. <laughs> What's your favorite color? Blue. What motivates you? What excites you? <laughs> Um, music. And what does the opposite? What drives your energy down? What what turns you off? Um, negativity, negativity. People saying hurtful things to each other, uh, violence, things that it's just like, oh, like yeah, <laughs> that that turns me off, obviously. But when I said music, it was like. Uh, like right away I was thinking like symphony music, but it's like all music that just has that kind of light airy feeling because it, you know, it, it carries like it's graceful. It carries um, my spirit. So I like it. Oh, nice. And maybe this will be similar to your next one, but what, what sound or noise do you love? Violin. Nice. And what sound or noise do you not love so much? sound and noise uh the sound of just something dropping like glass breaking yeah and um, what do you love about yourself <laughs> everything um nice. <laughs> i what do i love about myself i love my heart i i love you know i love that i love people like i think i'm you know like it feels good to put my head on on the pillow and know that you know like I get to be me oh, nice and what do you love to see in other people um I, I love to see people other people's eyes and then the when we're speaking and I look into their eyes and I can see their soul and I can see their spirit and and they they awaken and you know whatever it is they're talking about whether it's something positive or sad or you know but just to to look into their eyes and know that they know that they're being seen and that they're being heard oh nice and last question what do you love about animals this can be wild animals or pets however you want to perceive the word animals 
what do I love about animals? Yeah. Um, the fact that I, I think that the fact that they're alive, they're, <laughs> you know, no animal is more alive than the other animal. Like, so I remember reading that where it's like, you know, whether it's an elephant or a mouse, that they're both alive. And I think that they, you can tell in an, what I love about animals is that they, they also have that natural instinct to connect to our spirit. And I believe that I believe it with all my heart that, you know, like if you were to like open your heart to an animal, like you, whether it's a dog or, you know, like they can feel it. They have just the same capacity to feel love as we do. Oh, nice. Oh, well, that was the last question. Is there any last words or anything else that we didn't cover that you felt you needed to share? Um. Well, I just want everyone to know that the World Love Bank is available. I built it for the world. I, I need to have, as if there are people in Spain listening, or I need to build up the global account of I Love You. So you have to go into the App Store or the Google Play and download it and give your anonymous I Love Yous to then be part of the World Love Bank. And please try it out. Don't be shy. Be intentional with your love and um, share as much love as you can because your love and your voice is so valuable to those you care about and those who care about you. Yeah, definitely. And I'll make sure I go and download the app myself and I'm going to check it out and share some love. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, Luke. You really have been an inspiration to me today. And um, I'm so grateful for your time and, and having me as a guest. I feel very privileged. Oh, thank you. And I appreciate you for coming on and being open, honest and authentic. It's uh, beautiful to, like I said, to be able to have these conversations and share with someone just in a time when we can't share so easily face to face with so many people, we can still have beautiful conversations and share that with people. Exactly. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I look forward to staying connected. Uh, you too. Have a beautiful rest of your day. I know you said it's early in the morning for you, so you've got a whole day ahead of you. Um, I do. I'm going to go settle in for the night pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you have a wonderful evening and thank you again. And uh, blessings to all. Uh, you too. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for being here and listening to The Selfish Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Greenheart, and I appreciate you being here. Don't forget to check out my YouTube channel. Just search Luke Greenheart on YouTube. You'll find me. Check out my website, lukegreenheart.com. Have an amazing day and stay tuned for more episodes. I'll be interviewing guests on their path of self-development, their paths of self, getting to know them in much more intimacy, much more depth, sharing and connecting with all so we can have a much more blissful, joyful and productive life together. All right, much love. Have a great day.